for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, I came a long way from his master bedroom, praise the Lord. (laughs) But I am thrilled. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so thrilled to kick off our new series, Jesus Stories. See, in our Bible, there is what's called the Gospels. And the Gospels consist of four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's so incredible about these four books is that they are literally recordings of Jesus' life and ministry while he was on this earth. We can grow up to any of these four. We can open it up to any of them, and we can see his miracles. We can see his interactions with people. We can see his teachings, and it's an incredible, incredible thing to learn from. You see, we have the privilege. I want us to see that in 2017, in Las Vegas, Nevada, it is an absolute privilege to be able to open up this word because there are countries across the world, villages across the world, nations across our world that do not allow it. So it's an absolute privilege to be able to preach from this and to be able to open up and learn from it. So my hope in this series is to be able to put ourselves in these stories. But Jesus is talking to us and about us. So Jesus' stories have purpose. God in the flesh, that is who Jesus is. He spoke words that would forever change the lives of those who would hear them. And so my heart and my cry for us this morning here at Avenue Church is that our ears would be open. Our ears need to be open because we could hear things all day long, but if we're not listening, then how can this life-changing word forever change us? And so I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say, to speak to us you want. Lord, that you would, God, allow us to see that you want to speak to us, you want to bring us life change, and that we would be able to experience that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's do this. In Luke chapter 10 is where I'm going to take you today. And Jesus is teaching a group of people as he often does. And it's here that he's speaking to a group of Jews, and he begins to tell a story of what we know as the Good Samaritan. And so if you open up to Luke chapter 10, if you have your paper Bible, I enjoy that. If you've got your app, or if you want to follow along on the screens, Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. Jesus is teaching a group of people, and he says to this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So this man is an expert in the biblical law. And he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is an important question, but have you ever had someone ask you a question and you know that they have the answer to the question, right? They're just asking you a question to see if you know the answer to the question. Or they're asking the question to catch you off guard or or make them look superior to you. Anyone ever had that happen to them before? Maybe some of us have done that to others. But this expert of the law He knows the answer to the question which he's asking because that is what he knows. And Jesus, being the smart and wise teacher that he is, he asks him, well, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? Meaning, all right, expert of the law, what's in here? You know this. And how do you interpret it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the law expert was quoting the Old Testament because he knew the answer. He was recruiting, I'm sorry, not recruiting, quoting out of Deuteronomy 
and out of Leviticus. And he said to him, Jesus said, you have answered correctly, go and do so. But here's the thing, the law expert doesn't stop the conversation there. He keeps going. Because in his mind, he knows that to inherit eternal life is to love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, and it's to love my neighbor as myself. And so he doesn't stop the conversation because he's recognizing in his own life that I'm not living fully, living it. Although I am an expert on the word, I know the word, I may not be fully living it. See, as Christians and believers of Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us, we know what this says. We know the words written in it. We can quote it to our friends. We can tell it to our children. But we're not always living those words. And so what happens is he asks Jesus this question. Well, who's my neighbor? I've got the love the Lord my God down, but who exactly is my neighbor? Because who do I really have to love? You see, during this time period, the Jewish nation, it was filled with racism. The Jewish nation in that time period was filled with prejudiced attitudes and actions. And you really had two groups of people in this story. And there were Jews and there were Samaritans. And Jews hated Samaritans. And Samaritans despised Jews right back. There was no kind feelings towards one another. One group felt elite and superior to the other. One group felt left out. And so there was absolutely no love taking this place in this relationship. And so why is he asking, who's my neighbor? Because he wants his neighbor to be somebody who looks like him. He wants his neighbor, he wants Jesus to answer, your neighbor is the people who are from your same tribe. The people who are from your same zip code, the people who vote like you, who believe like you, who worship like you, who dress like you, who have the same accent as you, that's who he wanted his neighbor to be. And guys, this is why I love Jesus so much. Jesus is not afraid to get messy. Jesus is not afraid to offend somebody. Because here he is in the room of a group of Jews, and he's about to say something very offensive because, hear me, he knows that if I can offend your mind, If I could get you a little bit upset right here, I'm going to reveal right here. And so we might be sitting in church sometimes and, oh, something's bothering me right here. But really what it's doing is it's showing me what's right here. And so this is what Jesus says. He's about to tell a story. He responds to the man. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now this was a familiar route. So the people would have known exactly what he was talking about. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is where the church was. Jerusalem was where the temple was. So people would travel from their hometown about 17 miles up the road to get to Jerusalem to worship. But we find out that when he was traveling down this road, he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. So here we have a man who's naked, bleeding, probably unrecognizable. If someone is stripped of their clothes back in that day, you can't recognize them by what tribe they're in because they no longer are maybe dressed like you or not dressed like you. Can't hear his accent because the man's half dead. He is not speaking. Who knows what a bloody mess he is? Can you even recognize his face? Are there any features about this man that would tell me, is he my neighbor? Is it my cousin down the street or is it a rival team? We don't know who he is because he's unrecognizable, half dead on the side of the road. But praise God, because a priest happened to be going down that same road. 
Praise God that there's a priest coming down. Phew, thank the Lord there's a mighty man of God coming down the same street. And so in verse 31, we see that when he saw him, this priest, he passed by on the other side. Hold on. What? Why in the world would a priest pass by this man? He's a priest. He's supposed to be the poster child for mercy and compassion, correct? See, the priest had a job in which he would be in charge of the temple. That was his duty. He was upper class. He was worthy and righteous, and he would have been coming down on his horse. Now, see, these particular priests, they would work two weeks and in Jerusalem at the temple, and they would work two weeks, or they'd come off two weeks at home. So why did he pass this man? Was he union? I don't know. Just kidding. I love you union people. <laughs> but why would he pass him? And here's why. As a priest, before he would have been leaving the temple to go back home, he would have gone through a cleansing. He would have gone through a ceremonial cleansing. See, in 2017, we know that God isn't so much concerned about the outside. God's more concerned about your heart. Amen? But in this time, to a first century Jew, it was all about the outside. It was all about the religion and the rituals. And he would have been coming down from Jerusalem, from the temple, back home, on a horse, completely cleansed. He saw himself as holy. He saw himself as clean. And in this moment, he thinks, hmm, if I get down off my horse and I help this man, I am risking defiling myself. Because if this man is not alive and he is in fact dead, I'm going to have to go right back up to the temple. I'm going to have to go through a whole cleansing process again. I'm going to go have to explain to my elite people why I was messing around with this dead man on the side of the road. Mm -mm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let somebody else handle it. See, he chose his, what he thought is holiness. He chose that over being helpful. And so it's a busy road. People are still walking. So here enters another character. This man is a Levite. He's a Levite. And it says, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, you see, a Levite was also coming down the road. Levites worked at the temple. Now, they weren't of the upper class. They were more just workers or security guards, and, but they still worked with worship. And so, praise God, we've now got another man of God coming down the road. He's not on a horse because he's not upper class. So he is walking. And if I'm walking on a road, I have a little bit better view of a half-dead, naked man, don't I? And so he comes to this decision, and he comes to this man, and as we read the scripture, it says, so too a Levi came down the same road, but he passed him by. Why? Come on, somebody, that's two church folks. Two church folks come down the road. They just got done worshiping for two weeks. You should be glittering with the presence of God, right? You should be glowing. And yet they come down this road, and now two people have passed by. Why? See, I understand the priest, he didn't want to get messy. Some of us leave church, we're in our church clothes, right? You got your cute dress on, you've got your necklace, you're rocking some brand new sandals you just got at the mall. But you see somebody on the, on the side of the road broken down. Men, white shoes are in right now. I get it. You don't even wear them outside the door. You keep them in your car, and then when you arrive at the place that you need to get inside, then you put your shoes on so they don't get scuffed. But I've got my church shoes on. I'm not getting out of my car and pushing that one person who's broken down on the side of the road. Uh-uh. Somebody else will do that. So the priest did that. He didn't want to get dirty. But now we have a Levite. Man, he's used to getting his hands dirty. He ain't the elite. 
But why did the Levite pass him by? Because the Levite would have known his boss had already gone down the road. The Levite knew that the priest had already gone ahead of him. And here he is having a decision to make. And he knows that mercy should trump anything. He knows that he should have compassion. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, what did my boss do? And my boss came to this road and my boss chose to keep going. And so he chose to keep going. Friends, I want you to know that people watch what we do and then they copy our behavior. If you are a manager, a leader, a supervisor, people are watching what you do. And you may be thinking, well, they got an employee manual too. <laughs> They've got the organization's mission and vision and protocol and it tells them to do X, Y, Z. But if I am your team member, if I am your employee, maybe the only excuse I need for myself is to say, mm, my boss doesn't do it. My boss doesn't do X, Y, Z. So maybe that's the only permission I need to give myself to not have to do what's right. See, the Levite knew the manual. He too knew the word of God. And he knew that mercy would override anything. Mercy would override any rule. He knew he was supposed to love his neighbor as himself. But instead, he said, mm, my boss didn't do it. If he ain't going to get his hands dirty, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. And he continued down the road. Guys, even our children are watching us. Whether it's the back seat of our car or the back seat of life, our kids are looking at how we treat people. They're looking to see, does, does mom and dad stop when an elderly person can't reach something at the top shelf of a grocery store? Do mom and dad pull over when there's a, a mom, a single mom it looks like with kids and her car is broken down and the hood is up? Do my parents pull over? See, children cannot do what they do not see. And if we do not model the things in which we want God to do in our lives and the things which we should be doing as a believer in Christ, how can they? How can they? And so Jesus is about to introduce the hero of the story. And I love this. Jesus is not going to give the hero position to the priest. He's not going to give the hero position to the Levite, to the church people. He's going to give the hero position to a Samaritan. you got to love Jesus. Here he is talking to a bunch of Jews. And he says the word Samaritan. To say the word Samaritan in the presence of someone who was Jewish was to literally like being a preacher dropping a cuss word in church. Samaritans or Jews did not say the word Samaritan. And so it would be like me coming up here and saying, beep. Y'all thought I was going somewhere. I was not going somewhere. Come on, people. I am a woman of God. But in 2017, you and I sitting here in church at Avenue, we should be thankful for this character. Thankful that God has placed the hero as the despised Samaritan. Because this is what it tells us that God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom. So if you have ever felt like you were the runt of the litter, if you ever felt that you were the back seat all the time, if you were the rookie never getting to play in the game, God is saying, I use people like you. I use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And this is why I love that Jesus used him because it reveals the very heart of God. And that if God sees heart in you, despite if someone's more talented than you, 
Despite if somebody makes more money than you, despite if somebody's got a greater title than you or experience, if God sees hard in you, he will elevate you. I love this scripture. It's become one of my life's scriptures. And it's in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire life or the entire world. And it looks for a heart that he may support that is completely his. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, so he may support those whose heart is completely his. See, God is looking for people who he can put dreams in. He's looking for people who he could put goals in and for you to do something great on his behalf. And it does not matter about experience. It matters about heart. God, qual- God calls those who feel that they themselves are unqualified. Because God can do a lot more with a humble person than he can do with a prideful person. Amen? So let's continue the story because now we have a hero with a heart. In verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Stop right there. This man was going up the road. He was coming from his house in Jericho. How do I know that? Because he had oil and he had wine. People would only travel with oil and wine if they were going to the temple to give it as a gift of worship to God. So this guy didn't even come from church, people. He hadn't been up there worshiping, praising God, asking for forgiveness of sins. No, he was on his way. And on his way, he sees a man half naked, half dead, lying there. God knows now how long he's been there. And he decides to take compassion on him, to have pity on him. And he takes what would have been used for worship. He takes the oil and the wine. And scripture tells us that he begins to clean this man. And then he put him on his own donkey. To put somebody on your donkey, that meant that this man, the Samaritan, if he had a donkey, guys, he probably had some money. If he had a donkey, it meant that he had some leadership. He was somebody. And for a man to put somebody else on their horse and then walk in front of that, that made you look like a servant. That would make you look like you were the inferior person. But hear me, compassion doesn't care about status. Compassion does not care about title. Compassion compares about or cares about the person that is right there. And so why does Jesus paint this radical picture? It says that that man, the Samaritan man, bandaged his wounds with the oil and the wine, cleaned him and bandaged him. He put him on his donkey and he brought him back down. He interrupted his day. And he brought him back down and he took him to the inn. And he told the innkeeper, he gave them two denarii, which is money, And he said, look after him. He said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. This man took care of the broken, beaten man. So again, why does Jesus paint such a radical picture for us? It's because this is how Jesus wants us to love. God's love is radical, friends. God's love doesn't look at color of skin. God's love doesn't look at zip codes. God's love does not look at what school does your child go to and what school does my child go to. God's love penetrates and works past all of that. See, there's no room for prejudice in love. There's no room for superiority in love. The man was beaten so severely, again, you wouldn't even have known who he was. The measure in which we love our neighbor can never be dependent upon how they look or how they speak or where they live. It is God's desire that the love that we have for him, if I love Jesus, if I say that he is Lord of my life, his desire for me is that that love that I have for him 
would overflow into love for other people. And that love for people would produce something called compassion in me. That when I see people, I don't look the other way, but I see them. See, Jesus is only asking us to do what he has already done. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark 2, 17, Jesus makes a very clear picture of his mission and of the church. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but I have called, come to call sinners. And that is God's heart for us. God's heart is not just to hang with those who are just like us, but God's heart is to reach out to those who may be different. You see, on Saturday mornings, we pray here at Avenue Church. And just yesterday, we were walking across this property, and I believe God gave me something specifically to pray for our church. Because I believe that God is going to begin to send people your way, my way. Because God begins to work on people's hearts. God does a work in them. He starts showing them, I've got more for you. Or maybe they've reached such a broken, sad state, and God begins to speak to them, you need me, you need me but they may not know how to get to him. And all of a sudden, you just happen to be their coworker, Or all of a sudden, you just happen to be their neighbor. And here in Las Vegas, I get it, we don't talk to our neighbors. We don't have front porches. No, we got garages. We pull in, we close, we go right back in. And then when it's time to go to work in the morning, we go right back out, close our garage. But maybe God is going to use you to be the link between your neighbor, physically, and Jesus. Because I've been praying for that. And I believe that, and I want to ask us, are we ready for that? See, we pray for change, don't we, as Christians? God, change my family. Change that sister of mine, Lord. Oh, man, you're praying for her just so you're not sinning and cussing about her. But still, we are praying for these loved ones. But God, don't use me to, to minister to her. Don't use me to be that, that bridge, that, to bridge the gap. No, 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 you use somebody else, but maybe God wants to use you. And that is what our prayer is. But are we ready? Who do we define our neighbor as? See, here we are in beautiful Southwest. It's gorgeous. We've got mountain views at our church. But I've been praying for life change, and you've been praying for life change, and I know that we've got a sex trafficking issue in Las Vegas, don't we? If we read the news, if we pay any attention at all, we are a large hub for sex trafficking. So what if God starts moving on the brokenness of these women? What if God starts whispering in the ears of a prostitute, you're beautiful, you're worthy, I want to heal you, I want to restore you. And all of a sudden, you're at a grocery store, and you've got underwear bigger than the shorts she's wearing, but God tells you, I need you to go speak to her. <laughs> Cover my son's eyes. and <laughs> You want me to talk to her, Lord? Yes. In your yoga pants, I want you to go talk to her in the booty shorts. And you go and you talk to her, and you are able to invite her to church, and you say, I'll sit with you. And you bring her here. What if she doesn't have church clothes, guys? What if all she's got is what she's used to wearing? You know what your pastor says? That's absolutely fine. Because my God is concerned more about the condition of somebody's soul, the condition of somebody's heart. Hear me. God's going to bring change in people's lives. But we are not teaching people behavior. We're teaching people salvation. 
We're teaching people what it means to feel worthy because if I feel worthy, I'm going to dress as if I'm worthy. If I feel and I believe that God, that I am worth something to somebody, I'm not going to come looking cheap, amen? Because I'm righteous, I'm cleansed, I'm holy. And so that is what God has called us to be, the church. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's there. We're going to be real surprised who's not there. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) look for me, please. (laughs) So Jesus finishes this story. In verse 36, he now tells this radical, really, this this cultural offensive story to these group of people who are religious. And he asks the man, all right, expert of the law, which of these, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Check to see what God just did right here. He said, which of these do you think was a neighbor? That's a verb. He didn't say, hey, who do you think your neighbor is? He said, no, 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 no. Which of the three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of them neighbored somebody? Which of them loved somebody? Which of them looked at a person as if they were made in the image of God? Who was the neighbor? And this is what the expert of law did. He said, this is how I imagine anyways. The one who had mercy on him. He wouldn't even say Samaritan. He wouldn't even say the word, the the Samaritan. Nope. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus turned to him and he replied, go and do likewise. You and I are called to neighbor people. You and I are called to love people and be Christ-like to people. And hear me, our hearts and our dreams and the things that God is birthing in us is that this would be a church that overflows. This would be a church that's literally like a hospital where people come in broken. Here, I mean, there's people. Every hospital needs doctors, amen? If you had a bunch of sick people in a hospital and no doctors and no nurses and ain't nobody know what's going on, that is going to be one nasty, hot mess. Sick. Lysol. Nasty. But if God brings sick people to a place where there's healthy people, that brings change, right? That's the kingdom of God. That is what God has always intended for the church. Let me get you healthy so I can bring a sick person. And they can lock arms with you. They can get to know you. And you can show them the way. God is good, amen? He's so good. So I got three questions for us today. Because some of you are thinking, oh, my God, my wife's going to go and take our guest room. She's going to get rid of my office. She's going to put bunk beds in there. And all of a sudden, I got a homeless shelter walking out of my, working in my house. I'm not necessarily asking you to do that. But if God told you to do that, that's awesome. But again, we've been praying for you. So as, as, a, as a Christian leader, what do I want us to think about today once we've heard this? Because we've heard the priest. He didn't want to get his hands messy. We heard the Levite. Well, if he ain't going to do it, I ain't going to do it. And then we heard the Samaritan that just said, I see it. I'm going to do something. So these are the questions I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Simple questions. Who do I see? Who do I see? If you were to close your eyes right now, who do I see? Because I believe that God wants you to see people. And some of us walk through life, we're on a routine, and that, I get it. But we walk through life and we are not even aware of what's going on around us. And we should be concerned about that. Who do I see? The second question is, what do I have? See, God wants to use the gifts, the strengths, your resources, the things that you have 
to make a difference in the life of somebody else. He does. The Samaritan, he had oil and he had wine. He had cloth. And he was able to use exactly what he had to meet the need of the person who he saw. The last question I want us to ask ourselves is, what can I do? The Samaritan knew that he could put the man on his donkey and take him to an inn. He could make sure that this man had medical attention and that he would be looked after. What can I do? See, if we're believing that God is going to send people into our lives to make a difference in, we've got to be ready for him, amen? Are we ready for him? I remember as my mom was growing closer and closer to God, God would begin to put people on our heart. And hear me, there was a season in our life when my mom was a single mom and two daughters, and I remember walking through the grocery store parking lot, and even if a man tried to approach my mom, my mom was like, dude, don't come near me. She didn't know what his intentions were, but she wasn't even given an opportunity to speak. I'm a mama. I've got two small children, two girls. You ain't walking near me. She would literally say, stop, right? That was my mama. <laughs> Praise God for mama. But now God is starting to move on her heart. And God is beginning to give her eyes to see people. Not to quick look the other way and act like I don't see you. Not the heart that isn't aware of what's going on. But God began to speak to her about certain people. And she was driving down the road one day and she saw a man running in a suit. A man running in a suit. And hear me, my mom, my mom doesn't do that. My mom's like, hey, you're a man. And God said, I want you to go pick him up. A man running in a suit. I want you to go pick him up. You ever have those moments? What do I? <laughs> but she said, okay, God, because I see, what do I have? I have a car. And what am I going to do? And you said, pick him up. So she went and she picked him up. She pulled over to the side of the road and said, sir, this could sound a little weird, but God just told me I need to give you a ride. And the man stopped. He is panting. Because hear me, guys, it is Las Vegas, Nevada. It is summertime. Wearing a suit in Las Vegas is not fun. You're sweating. Ugh. And he's trying to catch his breath. And he looks at my mom. He goes, I was just praying. And I was asking God, send somebody to help me because I have to get to this job interview. And I missed my bus. And if I am not at that job interview, I don't get a job and my family doesn't eat. And I was praying, God, help me. And my mom said, well, I'm going to touch and agree with you that you're going to get that job and hop in my car because let's go. That's how God wants to use you. I think so. some of us are so afraid of getting out of our comfort zones or being so incredibly inconvenienced. No, 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 no. God knows what you can handle, friends. God knows what you can handle now. Now hear me, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to stretch you because <laughs> he does. He does. God's desire is that you now see people the way that he sees people that you love people the way that he loves people, and you look at your possessions as something that belongs to him, not something that you just bought with your paycheck. And so I am believing for Avenue that God is going to start speaking to us. God is going to start talking to us and, and putting it on our hearts that there's somebody there that I need you to be me to. You see, the Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. That's who he is. The Samaritan is a picture of Christ in that he will meet you right where you're at. Whether you are broken, whether you feel half dead, whether you feel desperate or shameful or depressed, God meets you where you're at. And by his love, he bandages your wounds. He pays for you. He paid for your salvation. And then he brings you to the inn. 
Do you know that the inn is a picture of the church? So Jesus wants to move on the hearts of people and bring them to the church. And Jesus had a promise that he's going to come back for us. That's exactly what the Samaritans said. I am coming back for him. Anything that he owes, I'm going to pay it for him. We are the end, friends, and Jesus is a picture of that Samaritan, and we are to be Christ with skin on. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? See, if you have never served, then you've never really lived. If you've never reached out and gotten your life involved with somebody else, you've never really lived. You cannot fully live life unless you are making a difference in the lives of others. And that makes a difference. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for you this morning. If there is anyone in this room and you're saying, you know what, I haven't exactly been compassionate. Maybe I've been a little hard-hearted, a little stubborn in my mind, and I haven't allowed God to, to get to my heart to, to act out in love towards others. And, and you need a little bit more compassion this morning. I want you to, to lift a hand. You don't have to be ashamed. People's eyes are open. My hand's open. Our hand's up. You need compassion. Okay. I'm going to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that we are a work in progress. I thank you, Father, that you are constantly making us more and more like you. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would begin to, to break for the things that your heart breaks over. I pray, Father, we begin to see people where they're at, but also see where you want to take them. And God, that we would be bold enough we would also be humble enough to get involved when you want us to get involved. So God, give us ears to hear what you want us to, to hear from you, Lord. And give us the courage to do what you want us to do. I thank you so much for this church. I'm thankful, Father God, that you are equipping us to meet the needs of people. So Father, may we be so overflowing in love for you that we would not be ashamed to change somebody else's life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you worship with me, please?